Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very excited to be joined by Dr. Phil Hickman, also known as Dr. Phil. He's the CEO and founder of Playbook. He's also well known within e-learning circles. He's an interesting follow. I'm really happy to welcome you to the show. Welcome to the show, Phil. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, it's an honor being out here. So I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you have an interesting background. We always like to get to know our guests a little better right at the top. Can you catch us up on your origin story, how you got to this point in your professional life? Yeah, just real quick. I have five graduate degrees and a doctorate. I'm actually finishing up one more MBA, but, you know, in, in psychology and education, statistics, those kind of things, and obviously business and tech. I did everything in the field of education. So I was a teacher, a school psychologist, assistant principal, principal. I was a superintendent in some of the largest school districts in the nation, 300 schools, 210,000 students. Wow. Then I was superintendent in some of the, the most rulers districts in Mississippi. Mm. Uh, and then I was a national ambassador for the United States Department of Education. And then I you know, did some consulting work, worked with Amazon, Apple, and then worked for years with Oracle. And then I realized, you know, this technology background and a strong education background, I really wanted to figure out how could we better, you know, impact the world and impact education because mm -hmm. it's a large dinosaur. It's so hard to yeah. shift thinking in education and shift models. But the problem is like, we actually have no choice. And I always tell people, I think it's a, a area of national security. 75% yeah. of children in the United States read below grade level. Right. And that's regardless of uh, socioeconomical status, anything. And then we yeah. know at least to a high dropout rate, 73% of crime in the United States is created by high school dropouts. 82% mm -hmm. of prison inmates have a reading impairment that's just never been corrected. So it's, yeah. it's to me, it was a serious enough thing to uh, approach. And, and real quick, just the reason why I, I did it with, with our tech, my tech company is that the only way that we assess reading right now with technology is we quietly have a child read a paragraph and then answer multiple choice questions. Right. That's only reading comprehension. It has nothing to do with basic reading, mm -hmm. with uh, phonics and phonemic awareness and all those kind of things. Right, right. So we developed the first technology that uses, you know, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, speech recognition. So we can hear the child read. Not only can we hear them, you know, just read and, and diagnose what they're reading, we hear all the way down to the phonemic level. So mm -hmm. if a child read the word bat, we hear b are the yeah. lack thereof. And we have no third-party tools, 100% our technology. And that's why our speech engine does so well because Apple and Amazon, those folks, they don't really use children's voice data set because the child's voice changes every time. It squeaks and squeals. Yeah. Have front teeth one minute, the next minute they don't have front teeth. So from the right. fog and it messes up. What, and so we're able to have different layers of recognition yeah. to, to make sure that, that we follow the maturation of a child. Yeah. That's great. And that's in Playbook, which you then founded. You got a pretty impressive range of experiences prior to founding an ed tech company, but now you've founded Playbook, which is helping kids learn how to read. There's also some math stuff baked into that, and it's leveraging all that background, all that experience you were talking about, and then, you know, being out on your own, leading something. What's that been like? Can you tell the story of Playbook a little bit more? Yeah. You know, it was difficult because when I started it, and really we're, we're talking, let's say the idea is 2020. Speech recognition was not where it was at. 
Right. Um, and still speech recognition is kind of spotty. We had to figure out a better way to do it. We couldn't use other people's speech engine because of that. Right. So no one believed that we can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially a guy coming from education and dabbled in obviously some pretty large technology companies, but still didn't, you know, didn't have the respect. And so I learned how to code and started hacking away. I met two other guys and we said, look, we, we can develop our own speech engine. And uh, everybody said, it's going to take you, you know, millions of years. You cannot even get access to a data set. But because of my relationships in schools and other things, we had, we were able to train our models. And like I said, we, we were able to develop an innovative way and, and patent an innovative way to be able to hear all the way down to the phonemic level, have yeah. a language model, like all those things to, to make it, you know, pretty doggone sure accurate. And then we have another feature within our platform where um, a teacher can also uh, approve or, or, or not approve it, which, which just adds to, so they become a natural data scientist and it, and it, mm -hmm. yeah. And so we, we start to really use AI in that aspect to really personalize learning for children. Yeah. So, so it was hard. So the origin story of it was I had to go out and, and do a lot of pitch competitions. Mm -hmm. And I won pitch competition after pitch competition as a pitch competition. Yeah. Where I started out with my first seed money. And uh, those pitch competitions, when you're going in there, is it like a sports kind of vibe? But do you have your headphones on? Are you thinking like walk up music? I need to be in the zone. You know, like how? Because you, you basically got to be bringing your A game when you're doing a pitch, right? You're on, a, on a stage with a room full of people. Yeah. And, and you see, you know, a person get up and a person and pitch and pitch and you see some great ideas. Yeah. And so it, was, it can be intimidating. And then you see some people up there, you're like, why are they here? Right. It's not like a rap competition, but literally, you know, it's a competition. Yeah. We're going for, you know, $100,000, $200,000 here. Right. Here. You know, yeah. I, Google, I actually won Google, even though, you know, our speech engine is different from theirs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's 150000 with Google. So we had a lot yeah. of, people, you know, and it's actually non-diluted. So it's not right. really... You have to pay back. So it's it's an intense competition. I imagine it's a combination of the pitch, but also how you pitch, right? So like it's it, not it's just formula. the idea, but there is also the element of communication and, you know, almost like winning a rhetoric contest almost, you know? And there's hidden rules. There's hidden Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Imagine, just, just I want you to imagine. Imagine me going to a pitch competition, a tech pitch competition as a superintendent. I have a full suit and tie. Yeah. Breasted suit. You got multiple pieces. You got like, yeah. Like, who is this guy? Because that's not the culture of tech. Right. Right? It's t-shirt, right. a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that, that's the first and only pitch I lost. And, and it was more of a delayed. I came back and, and won that pitch a year later. But what that did was that opened me up to coaching. Yeah. And they gave me a lot of free coaching. I had a, a business coach. I had a pitch coach. Yeah understood how to, you know, it's just a PowerPoint deck. Like literally everyone's mm -hmm. pitching from just a deck. I pitched yeah, deck. Yeah. And once I understood the formula and I took off that suit. <laughs> so if it's crazy. a takeaway, definitely no three-piece suit. No three-piece suit. <laughs> Probably no suit, but just yeah. keep the vest in the closet. If you hear one thing today. So you've been doing this stuff, you know, since 2020. That's a pretty interesting time yeah. to be founding into, you know, the pandemic and the social awakenings that have been happening. Like a lot of stuff has been out in the world. And then on top of that, as someone in ed tech, thinking about what you're doing, thinking about the future of education with your background, this past year, you know, it's really been the year of AI 
you know, and the year of AI in education, you were there ahead of the game, but then the game is certainly here. What's this year been like? What are your thoughts on uh, how things have changed since generative AI has been out there? Post-pandemic, my idea also was not accepted because people didn't understand the value of technology in education. Mm. Right. And right. Play AI. They're thinking I'm still in kids' minds or something. Right, right. You have the pandemic and then technology is like, oh, they're panicking. Everybody got caught. I mean, there were federal laws in 2009 that said that schools had to integrate technology and no one did it. And so right. we had pandemic, right? So that put my product, except we were building it. I had to raise the money to build everything out and, and test it and those kind of things. Now, dealing with generative AI now, and we, and we actually have a, another product that we have our own generative AI and it takes any textbook. It's called Text Complexifier. Mm. It's any textbook. Uh, let's say I'm a third grader. I want to read about astronauts. There are only fifth grade books in our library about astronauts. We yeah. can take any text and we can make it from first grade all the way to ninth grade. That's cool. Uh, we can change the text, but not the content. Mm -hmm. So it takes the same content and it's, and it's a readability level for. Yeah. Forever. I imagine it goes both up and down, right? It can complexify yeah, yeah, and yep. it can also decomplexify. Uh -huh. Yep. Yep. But that's, yep. that's too many syllables. We couldn't do that. So yeah, it's a pretty neat tool. So the problem is, like you said, people have put flashy labels, you know, I'm using AI, I'm using AI, and they're not. They're usually using something that's a one-to-one -one relationship mm -hmm. as opposed to really, you know, using AI for what it can do and personalized learning. Let's say ChatGPT. I mean, if you think about it, this is actually the first time ever in history technology or a revolution has changed so fast, yeah. right? The, the last one we're stuck in is the mobile. And right. that's, that, that's been going on for a long time. The advanced. Yeah. Yeah, we're 15 years post-smartphone, and right. there hasn't really been a breakthrough at that level. Yeah, yeah ChatGPT came out, what, in last year? Yeah, Thanksgiving. And they're already yeah. in four? Yeah. Four, five? Like four? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. It's never been that that quick of a turn. And I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a big difference between when they started and now. Dr. Phil, they're rolling out versions of ChatGPT faster than Gillette's rolling out razors with extra blades. It's, and not cutting people. Exactly. It's wild, I imagine. And then also, you know, what's great about you is you kind of bring a cross-section of experiences within the educational universe. Right. You also talk about social-emotional learning and the importance of resilience. What I like about that is you have an interesting blend of thinking about the emerging technology, the AI. But can you talk to our listeners a little more about how you think about resilience, how you think about Social emotional learning. I have been doing this for years. I get social emotional, baby. <laughs> Whitney's still gone too soon. You know, yeah. that's just a fact. Oh, but yeah. how do you weave that into the conversation? Because you're not just on the technology side. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm also a psychologist, mm -hmm. a child psychologist. And my love, not only technology, but human learning and, and how the brain works, healthy development and those kind of things. Listen, it's, there are a lot of people that don't have those soft skills. There's a lot of kids that are hurting. There's yeah. a lot of people that are under extreme environmental stressors, you know, that, that we need to pay attention to. The issue is when you look at social emotional learning, or you look at what skills is necessary for someone to be successful in the future. I'm always thinking of the yeah. futuristic. And even the new form of intelligence is changing. It's the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. Yes. Because technology has a shelf life that is right now, it's a year shelf life, right? They have a new... Yeah phone version every eight months to a year. Right. But it's getting quicker than that. And so the ability to pivot 
the ability to adjust, you know, to learn how to persevere. Right. Yeah. I mean, all those kind of skills are very important that we are not developing for children's future. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that everybody understands when a child or when a, a person, let's say a child is lacking in math, what we do is we break it down. We, we tutor them. We direct teach the math skill that they're lacking. That's the same thing we're supposed to do with behavior. In math, if somebody is failing, we don't kick them out. Right. But in behavior, if you're failing, we kick you out. Mm-hmm. Instead of direct teaching inconsistent skills, incompatible behavior with the behavior that you're exhibiting. And so it's a lot of times, you know, school districts we work on, and it's actually a law. It's called multi-tier systems of support. The same uh, pyramid that goes for uh, academics, you're supposed to do the same interventions for behavior, but people don't. Because yeah. first thing you do is kick them out. Well, you kick them out, they come back with the same behaviors. They didn't learn anything or right. learn worse, right? Right, uh, right. Then you put them back into their extreme environment where you took away for them coming to school, being in a safe environment, getting food, being around uh, competent, you know, adults. Yeah, yeah. Like those kind of things. Yeah, it's rough. And so technology hasn't caught up in that space of really how to support. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of great ideas, but, you know, I need to execute what I'm doing first. But we, we really haven't personalized social-emotional learning. Right. Um, and that's going to be a problem. I mean, it's going to be a problem because, again, not only is technology so fast, you know, their jobs are going to be that they're going to have to work alongside robots and robots. Right. Yeah. Right. And AI. Right. And AI doesn't have those emotions yet. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's real different because I feel like we're just preparing kids for our past instead of their future. Mm. And it's going to change so fast. They say in 2040, 85% of jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet. Right. But it will have an aspect of technology. It will have reading fluency. And it will have the ability for a person to be nimble, to be flexible. There's a book, Algorithms to Live By, which basically breaks down a lot of the big algorithms that are out there. You know, explore versus exploit is one where like you're in a new environment. You're probably going to explore, but there's a point at which by the time you find something you like, then you're going to keep going back to that decision. Yeah. We're not really teaching kids good decision-making practices, good heuristics, good mindsets. You know, another thing I know you were talking about was growth mindset. And I've been thinking increasingly also as a parent of a four-year-old, it makes me do this. But, you know, in some ways, our job is to teach mindsets as much as skill sets. and I'd love to hear you talk a little more about the mindset side of the equation and kind of thinking long-term around what we're giving to our learners. Well, one of the things that we take pride in, which I understand is we say failure is not an option, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, fail forward. Like, right. That's a good thing Mm -hmm. because it's giving you, this is not the solution that's working. Right. And to have that mindset to understand that, no, Failure is good. We have a growth mindset, always continuous improvement. Right. And all those things that, that in the school, we actually do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the successful person in the school right now is to memorize information and regurgitate fact. Right. And so your mindset is flat. Right. And, and that little black box in your hand. And I used to say, in the future, this black box in your hand can have all the information you need. Yeah. And I, and your job is to look through it, read through it, and critically apply it. Well, how about that's now? Right. <laughs> like, my phone, can I can get any information, you know, that I need. Right. With ChatGPT and other things, if, with the right prompt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's at my fingertips. 
Right. It's my job to read through what's correct and what's not correct and mm -hmm. how do I critically apply it to my situation. Right. I mean, we're running away from even generative AI. Uh, you know, I was in my MBA class. One of the students works in higher learning and said, well, you talk about this AI, what are they going to do with kids that are cheating? Right. Like, what did you do when, when a calculator was invented? Right, right. This is a tool. Right. Tool is out there. I don't care what you talk about. That tool is yeah. out there. Yeah. The way I think about it is everybody should be elevated to a higher baseline by yeah. virtue of this stuff. Yeah. But then the other thing to think about is like, if you're already good, you could be a lot better now. Be great. Yeah. And I think of it a little bit as almost like the steroids era of baseball where like, you know, these peds came in and suddenly people were hitting home runs more than we were expecting. It does feel like there are going to be some home runs in terms of yeah. like augmented outputs that even I'm already seeing it in my own productivity when I use these models, you know, use them flexibly, use them critically. Yeah. But when I find a problem, like depending on the space you're in, but I do a lot of content development, a lot of, you know, new media production. It's a golden age as an individual, if you want to just start riding some of these tools. Yeah. But I mean, people are afraid because it's replacing jobs. Mm. You know, and I, I even told my teachers when I was a superintendent, I said, technology as of right now, technology will not replace you. Mm -hmm. Those who use it will replace those who don't. Right. This is the issue. Automation, people in their mindset right now are stuck on blue collar automation. Yeah. White collar automation is yeah. here and fast. Yes. In the legal field, it's almost, you just need one lawyer and to understand prompts. They have AI that can go through the briefs and summarize right. everything you need. Exactly. Doctors, they have robotics and, and AI that, one, robotics that are doing surgery. Right. Of course, you need a doctor that, you know, tell it what to do. But that precision is coming from robotics. They have AI that can predict with 99% accuracy a treatment for breast cancer. Breast cancer is one of the most deadly cancers there are. Now you, you can use technology that predicts it 99% accurate for you to live. And what you're going to fight that it's here. It's, yeah. I mean, if this is doing that, then think of the other things that it can predict health wise. It can predict with accuracy. A doctor is like 55 to 65% accurate mm -hmm. the first time. That's why it's practicing medicine. Yeah. Like they, they ask questions. You come back, you're more sick. No, they have technology that's 99% accurate the first yeah. time. Oh, you know. it does make you think a lot about the future of work and how humans are going to be blending with the technology. But lots of times the human facing side of these builds, it depends. You know, sometimes people want the anonymity, you know, interacting with a bot has its advantages, but there are certain types of work, certain types of engagement. And just the way that we're wired, we're going to want to connect with other humans and, and have sort of like social engagement, discourse, you know, we're social animals. I agree. How do you see that part playing forward? I didn't say that it will replace a doctor. Yeah. The number of doctors you don't need anymore. Right. Now you're still going to, you have to have a doctor, right? To get that final decision. Like you said, the need for touch, you know, that aspect of it. I'm not saying that we will eliminate doctors. What I'm saying is it's going to replace jobs. I mean, it's going to repurpose jobs. And it's going to limit the amount of, like I said, white collar and an attorney. You're still going to have an attorney, but you're not going to have all those team yeah. of attorneys that do the research on one aspect and this right. aspect, aspect, right? Let's look at, you know, we can go up and down the blue collar, white collar. Let's look at truck drivers. Like, I think they're 65% of like 
income. I mean, I don't know, like the nation's income, like truck drivers are, are a big deal. Yeah. We're this close to automated cars, driverless cars. We've been this close for a while, though. I'm just saying the implementation there has been, you know, it's the old saw about you ask a futurist whether their prediction came true. The answers are either yes or not yet. You right. know, like if it hasn't happened, it's going to happen soon. You know, but would you say 10 years within 10 years? Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it, that's an interesting one where I'd say if you'd talked to me five years ago, I would have thought we'd be further by now. And then if you talked to me a year ago around chat automation and image generation and some of the things we've seen around generative AI, I would have said that's probably three or four years away. So it is interesting how, you know, trying to understand how fast things move, because it seems like things go through step changes where... Um. You're stuck and then suddenly there's a breakthrough and then things are significantly different on the other side. Yeah, but the issue is with something like that is you cannot experiment with life. Right. The trolley problem is real when you're talking about self-driving cars. Yeah, yeah. So you have to creep through it, but we're getting there. And so even if, you know, we have kids who say, I want to grow up to be a, a truck driver and all this kind of stuff, I don't think it's going to be there. You, right. It, you know, at the end, maybe to unload it. I don't know. Right. Right. Well, no, we, we know that robots can unload heavy equipment. So, well, especially because they start building it for robots. Although it is interesting when you think about, like, I heard Tesla's now releasing, like, a humanoid robot. Yeah. And, like, we're pretty good at the humanoid stuff. Like, I think in terms of, like, fine motor and, like, even in Amazon warehouses, like, picking up, like, small items, it's going to take a while for them to catch up there. But if you build fresh, where they could be designed however you want, that's going to be interesting. Like, you, I've seen the, I think it's the general dynamics dancing robots. They kind of know what's going on. And I've also saw just recently, I saw these robots that learned how to play soccer where they were dropped into like an arena with soccer ball and goals. And then just by virtue of like trial and error and reinforcing certain behavior patterns to get back to your point about behavior, it's pretty interesting to see how that technology advances. But then, you know, talking about behavior and then talking about our systems, you know, how do you see us addressing some of that? You know, like you've navigated your career to get to a really interesting place now where you're looking to make an impact. How do we open up pathways for more folks like yourself? And how do we think about transforming education? Because it seems like the existing systems don't move fast enough. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's a different paradigm shift that we need to have in education. And one is how do you prepare kids for a future that we don't, we know nothing about. Right. And, and so, um, but there, I, I promise you, there's like clear research. One is to teach the four C's. So critical thinking, creativity, um, Elaborate. collaboration. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I remember that. I remember back in, in you know, in, in the Apple days where that one smart person, they will, you know, let that person go and that, that person would develop something. Nobody would talk to them. They will have cobwebs in the hair, you know, just that one odd person. Now that person is fired if they don't know how to work with the group. Yeah. You know, I can remember when, you know, they was, you know, building things like the iPad. It was just one group of people that were just working on the button. Just yeah. one button. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know how many different groups, you know, and so if you don't know how to collaborate and communicate, right. Like creativity and all those kind of things, then you're, you know, we need to teach that because that's not what we're teaching in school. Again, memorization and regurgitation of facts. There is a robot, I think it's named Patty or something, but it basically flips hamburgers. Okay. And so with accuracy, and mm -hmm. the meaning I say this is because it only costs $30,000. Wow. 
Right. Oh, you now have fast food restaurants that's buying patty. Yeah. This person doesn't complain. They right. work. They don't sleep. Right. You know, they're, they're, shit, and they're productive. Rent, rent them out for barbecues. I mean, that's like a revenue stream. Think of if you're McDonald's. I mean, you don't have workman's comp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and all yeah. that silly stuff that, that goes on. People still in it. I mean, that is what I'm I'm saying. But who who programs those robots? Who maintains right. those robots? So right. it's repurposing. So we have to reskill America. Yes, yes. We have to reskill America or we're, or we're in trouble. Right. I've heard that in the context of like diesel engineers. We should be teaching diesel engineers how to do electric, you know, like try to be ahead on platforms and ahead on what's emerging so that you know, and then the reskilling needs to be part of a, a real lifetime commitment. You know, that whole learn, unlearn, relearn that keeps happening. Those cycles never end. And that's a good thing because learning is intrinsically rewarding. You feel good when you learn things. So it builds some We're positive habits. We're creatures of habits, though. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have learned to be creatures of habits, and that's the issue. Mm. We don't want change, is hard for us. Yeah. You know, once we get into a groove, we want to stay into that routine. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is not going to be valued mm -hmm. in the future. And, right. and really, just, I mean, just to be honest, it's going to be the have and have not. That's what this kind of makes me sad. That middle class is going to be gone, right? We have yeah. Asian white collar, blue collar automation. And so you're going to have people who adjusted and, and were flexible. They're going to be at the top. Yeah, and I'm exaggerating, but to me, it's like Gotham City. You're going to have a large underground community yeah. population. Mm that they're coming for you because yeah. they're hungry, you know, yeah. looking at everybody else, very successful and those kind of things. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, that's why I say it's a level of national security mm. because we're not focusing on those things and other countries are, are really focusing on technology yeah. and, you know, all those kind of things within their, their citizens and our education systems. I'm talking to Dr. Phil Hickman, who is the founder and CEO of Playbook. He's got some interesting ideas we're kicking around here today. What about advice for folks? You know, you've done a, a pretty remarkable job navigating a, a really interesting career arc so far, and it sounds like you're actually on to even more interesting things looking ahead. Any advice, any recommendations for folks who are interested in a career in education, educational technology? I would say one of the most important things, I think, is that a, a child or, or an adult or whoever is start to look into the technology field. There's boot camps out there. I started out with a, a boot camp in Kansas City called Launch Code KC. And, and that was my introduction to myself as opposed to managing teams and those kind of things that really digging into, you know, what is technology, how to code, how to think in that aspect. Yeah. Entrepreneurial boot camps as well. Yeah. Uh, where the Small Business Association has free business coaches and those kind of things. I think understanding entrepreneurialism is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, most communities, they put their smartest person to be an entrepreneur and their second tier kids to be doctors and lawyers. Yeah. A doctor and lawyer can only advance their family, their mm. family. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneur can change generations. Mm. And so, you know, and, and then the skills, obviously, that's important for the future are those tenets of entrepreneurialism, you know, where you're critically thinking, you're solving a problem, you're persevering, you're understanding failure, and you just, you know, you keep at it because it's an emotional it's an emotional roller coaster to be an entrepreneur because one minute you think you're high, I'm about mm. to get this big grant or this. Oh, yes. it's not there. That I yes. got to listen, I got to pivot it. Yeah. And so I, I would say, you know, be ready for the long haul but, and put in the work. But there are good boot camps out there. 
There yeah. are platforms out there that you can really learn from nowadays. We have access to information, video, every, every form that you can think of. And it's really not a lot of uh, excuses not to grow mentally. Yeah. In the area that you want to. Yeah. And then what about doing your own thing versus working with some of the big name brands that are out there? Because it seems like you've been able to tap into both sides of that. Any perspective based on, you know, seeing both sides of that equation? Yeah. One baseline is you're making a lot of people rich when, you know, you can put your ideas to work. And I think, you know, the notion of, do I have a, a unicorn, a, a billion dollar idea? But if you have, you know, a, a lifestyle business, a $300,000 a year idea, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Right. Yeah, as opposed to working for someone else mm -hmm. and the this, this stress of, and non-flexibility and all those things that come along with that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I felt that, like, there were some things I didn't know. I worked hard and I watched yeah. the ideas grow. Yeah. That I was not attached to it anymore. I didn't get right. paid. No, for, right. I just got my normal salary. Right. So, yeah, some of those things are just, and if you're good at what you do in your area, trust me, there's a need for you. Yeah. To monetize that. Yeah, it is interesting also to think about the combination of the gig economy and being entrepreneurial. That pathway, like it or not, seems to be a growing one. And it's also one as you get older. I'm thinking about that too, where like, you know, do I really retire if I can still bill for work, you know, based on the way things are going? If I enjoy what I'm doing, I'm going to keep billable hours or billable hours. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's an interesting time. Dr. Phil, as we're getting closer to concluding here, I always like to ask guests outside of education, where do you get your inspiration? What's out there gets you excited nowadays? You're someone who's pretty plugged into what's new and emerging. Any thoughts, anything for our listeners? I just, I eat up any kind of content. And it's so available in the way that I want, even down to Instagram. I mean, there's some inspirational yeah. folks on Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I follow in that sense. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you can, you know, there's just so much information that you can get from reading tidbits to seeing videos to hearing audiobooks. I mean, I'm always uh, in a mood to learn something. So it's not just one person or one platform, you know, whoever has some great content and that catches my eye yeah, and I, and I start getting into it. There are some great podcasts just like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Great podcasts that if you listen to people discussing their ideas, I mean, it, it, spark, it should spark something in you. Right. It, it should spark something in you. And the, the thing is, you just need to act on it. Be omnivorous. I, I've heard someone say, you know, sample from different varieties, varietals of, of learning information that's out there. Like what's, what's a different context? What's a different way for me to consume something maybe I haven't seen before? You know, it keeps you sharp and helps us all leverage that range of experience we were talking about. All right, Dr. Phil, this is our closing moment. We want to conclude here with some takeaways for our listeners. As folks head back to the rest of their lives, any parting thoughts, parting words from you? Yeah. One, of course, I have to talk about my product. If your child's school system doesn't have playbook as a reading technology, and we're still looking at, you know, kids reading paragraph and choosing multiple choice questions, that's a shame, right? We're not assessing what we're saying we're assessing. Two, social emotional development is so important to be able to have your child, to not punish your child for experimenting for exploring, you know, promote those because those are our skills, you know, that's going to be successful in the future. I remember getting in trouble for taking apart my dad's lawnmower, <laughs> you know, but a tinker, a person that tinkers with technology, I mean, 
that's where it's at. Those are, are, are some of the, the lasting things I would say, you know, look at local boot camps. They have them for free. Some of them are yeah. nonprofits that have local boot camps and, and local entrepreneurial environments. There are a lot of meetups out there where, you know, we meet at coffee shops and, and just kind of discuss technology and AI. And I would say, do not run from AI. It's really not a true AI yet. They call it a soft AI because it doesn't act on its own, but use it as a tool. Don't run from it. Use it as a tool. Understand that, you know, you can look like an expert now because you're equipped with information and it's given to you in a, in a digestible form that you can apply it. Fantastic stuff with Dr. Phil Hickman, also known as Dr. Phil. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. No worries. Thank you. I appreciate it. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>